We have uh, an exceptionally short text this morning, and we do not have time for all of it. Uh, This is uh, Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 9, 10, and 11. We'll we'll read verses 9 through um, 9 through 13. Remember, this is, these are implications of what it means to live uh, by the mercies of God as we present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. And we begin this by praying, let us not be conformed uh, to the ways of this world but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So therefore, verse 9, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is the Word of God. Having feasted uh, on the world, as our, our hymn just said, we now uh, turn to Thee, unfilled once again, Jesus. Did you hear those words that we sang? We've been feasting elsewhere, and now we come to You, unfilled with what the world gives, but seeking to be filled with the Lord Jesus Christ. So our text this morning is... Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. How? How do you do this? How do you obey these commands? How do you change your affections so that God is your delight? So that obeying Him is your pleasure? So that you are not bored in God, but find your delight in God? How do you do that? Do not be slothful in zeal. Sloth, you may or may not know, is one of the seven uh, deadly sins uh, that has been spoken of throughout the history of much of the church. And it is usually understood as lazy. Do not be lazy. That is not adequate for this text. Sloth is defined this way. Um, Look this up in my pocket dictionary. Uh, a habitual disinclination to exertion. Habitual disinclination, inclination, sorry, uh, to any 
any exertion. Indolence and laziness. Now, what might come to your mind is is an animal that is called the sloth. Uh, It it has these long, um, hook-like claws that grip a hold of a tree branch, and they just hang there, upside down, for the better part of the day. And the definition, the description in the dictionary said, and they have a brown coat with a hint of green. What do you suppose the green is? What do you think it is? Algae. Algae growing on the coat. Just lying around, just hanging there. It it reminds us of the proverb that says the sluggard drops his hand into the dish. And he's too lazy to pick it out and pull it out and put the food in his mouth. I look around this room and I don't see that many lazy people. Most of us are busy. Most of us work hard. Most of us get a lot done. Some of us work harder than we should. (laughs) Declare a holiday here, right? Okay. (laughs) My goal, my goal, the purpose of our message is this: um, to that that you and I would dismantle every obstacle to joyful service to God by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's getting, that's getting to the heart of the meaning of sloth. That we would dismantle every obstacle to joyful service to God and do so by the power of the Spirit. Let's just look at these phrases one by one. Don't be slothful in zeal. Again, the definition of, of, of sloth is not laziness, Um, But we have to examine our own lives. Has love grown cold? And so we are not lazy, but joyless. Now we're getting to the heart of the definition of sloth. Uh, Thomas Aquinas uh, describes it this way. Sloth is an oppressive sorrow, a weariness, an apathy, and in part, a joylessness when faced with God as our supreme joy. So it does include an oppressive spirit or a sorrow, weariness, apathy. But it also includes this element, joylessness when faced with God as our supreme joy. I suspect your problem is not, first of all, laziness, at least not on the face of it. But might it be joylessness? Our shorter catechism, we love it, we love it. Number one, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to joy Him. For how long? Would would forever include now or is it just in heaven? Now. To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever starting now. And yet, we look at our lives and we can say that there are times at least when we do not enjoy God 
as our chief good and we can be apathetic. It is possible for us even to come into a worship service and just sort of move through the, the order of service and our hearts not be moved with wonder at our God. However, we do still look for joy and happiness, don't we? And this is what our hymn, Jesus, Thou Joy of Loving Hearts, is getting at. We look for joy and happiness, but sometimes not in God. We can entertain ourselves until we're comatose. (laughs) We can live for leisure. We can drive for success. We can look for a certain relationship or a relationship that we already have that if it were different would make, would make me happy. It would fulfill us. So my question to begin with is, are you slothful? And I mean by that, are you hypocritical and not genuine in your love for God? Sharp terms. But I don't know what else we can do with this text. We can look like Christians and yet not love God. We can look like Christians and do a lot of moral things but not find our joy in God. And that is a joylessness when faith with God as our, as our supreme joy. I want to look at, at three sort of components of this slothfulness um, describing it for you. And, and the first is, it is a sin of omission. It's a sin of omission. There are, we talk in the scriptures or in the church about sins of commission. That's what we do. Sins of omission, things that we don't do. This is a sin of omission, what you're not doing. It's not anger. It's not like anger. It's not like lust. It's not like stealing. It's what something you're not doing. And you are not rejoicing in God or finding joy in God. Uh, Dante put it this way in his... Uh, um, in, his, in his book, The Inferno. It is not a perverted love, that is, a love that is heading in the wrong direction for the wrong object, the twisted object. It's not extreme love, that is, loving something that is good that you're supposed to love, but loving it too much, like a spouse or a child or some such. It is instead, Dante said, it is, it is not perverted love, it is not extreme love, it is in Sufficient love. Insufficient. It doesn't match the object of your love, God himself. So joylessness shows a lack of love for God. He, our great God who made us and we are his. And sometimes we just say, oh well. It's a sin of omission. It's, it's also not... Cold or hot, we saw in Revelation 3. That means not useful. It's lukewarm. And warm is a waste. God is not satisfied with warmth from his people. A warm, a a, a lukewarmness. And some of you might actually say, and I'm trying to get at what some of the things that can lie below the surface in our lives, especially as we've been walking with Christ for a long time. Some of, us, some of us can say, we know that God should be our chief delight. We know that. It's clear. But we tried that, and it didn't work. Didn't deliver for me the way I thought it should. 
So there is insufficient love in this lukewarmness. It didn't work, and our hearts simply wander off. The third thing, and once again, I, I just am amazed at that hymn that we were singing. <laughs> just, just, just amazed at how this, this goes along so well with what, what I've been struggling to try to say. Uh, oh well, you sang it. That's all right. But but we are we are we are off in the third point. Is a sin of omission. We are not cold or hot, just lukewarm, and we are bored, but too busy. Bored, but too busy. I I love, and perhaps some of you have heard this before, how. Uh, St. Augustine begins his book of Confessions, the very, very first page. Listen to this. Um, I'll, I'll read a little bit more than we often hear. But you stimulate him to take pleasure in praising you. He's talking to God. This is a prayer to God. You stimulate him to take pleasure in praising you because you have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they can find peace in you. God, you've made us for you. And so you are stimulating us to worship you, to put you at the appropriate spot or place in our lives and in our hearts. And in fact, our hearts are restless until they find peace with you. Our hearts are restless. There is, you've, you've perhaps heard this phrase, a God-shaped vacuum. That is, we are created with this vacuum in our heart that only God can fill. Um, it is an infinite hole that only an infinite God can fill. But we try to stuff it with things to fill it up so that we are not bored. But if you fill your heart with anything but God, you will be bored. And you will be busy cramming your heart with entertainment, binge-watching Netflix or whatever, overwork and overplay. And all the while, you've got this chasm of a hole and you're trying to cover, you're trying to paper over it with this flimsy paper that kind of hides the hole for a little bit, but you just poke right through and there it is. It hasn't done anything. So sloth is a great, big, chronic sorrow and emptiness in our boredom. We are too busy. So, are you trying to squeeze joy out of your life? Have you lost an appetite for God? Not finding God your joy, but other things in your life. So, don't be like that, thoughtful. What are we to do instead? Look at this. Look at this. Be fervent in spirit. In spirit, it's not getting any easier, is it? How do you how do you be fervent? How do you get fervent? And that word in the original carries with it the notion of boiling, of of of, of boiling hot. It, and some translates be a glow for God, be be boiling hot, or be light, be a glow for God, be passionate for God. And you might be getting tired just hearing me say this. Get up earlier. Have a longer quiet time. Read more. Pray more. Watch less TV. Try harder. Have an accountability partner. Sin less. 
Get busy. Have a heart of love for God. How's that working for you? Will that get you hot for God? It's impossible to whip yourself up for God. And, and, and it's simply never a matter of more willpower. It's never a matter of just trying harder. Be fervent in spirit. Or maybe it's be fervent by the Holy Spirit. Be aglow by this gift of God's grace. And you know you can't conjure up passion for God with self-talk. I'm going to wake up today and I'm going to be happy for Jesus today. I'm going to wake up today and I'm going to glow in the Spirit. And that, and that lasts maybe as long as it takes me to get to the kitchen to get my first cup of coffee. And we can be very discouraged because our hearts tend to cool and we lose our joy and our love for God. And sometimes we handle that. Sometimes we handle that by seeking to bargain with God. I will stop doing this and I'll start doing that. I will do better. I will sacrifice more. I will give something up. And we try that for a few hours and we just give up. And so instead of bargaining, instead of bargaining, I, I urge you to simply beg. Beg. One, one of my teachers described the Christian life as this. Um, it is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. That's great. And when I say beg, this is what I mean. Um, I can do nothing apart from you, Holy Spirit. I can do nothing apart from you. So you... Give me the desire. You give me the desire to serve you. You give me fervency and spirit. Not so that I'll feel better, but that God will be glorified. You do that work in me. A friend of ours um, uh, is is an ER charge nurse. And... um, she would tell uh, Gail these stories about uh, certain patients who would come in. Occasionally she would have patients that were dehydrated and they were at serious um, health risk. Um, and, and, and yet, for many of them, the one thing that they didn't want or couldn't do would be to drink water. Dehydrated and yet, and yet didn't want the, the one thing they needed the last thing they really wanted was the only thing that could help them. And so she would have to force feed them. Force feed them. Ice, ice in the mouth, start with that, but then also a saline drip in the arm. She would force feed them to get them, to get them past this block that they had against water. And so if you're not hungry, if you're not hungry for God, you don't resolve the problem by staying away from Him. You don't resolve the problem by thinking you're going to get better without Him 
And when you're good enough, maybe then you'll come to church. Maybe then you'll read your Bible. If you're not hungry for God, you force feed yourself. Because the Spirit works through the Word, a means of grace. You force feed the Word to produce hunger for the Word. One of our daughters surprised us with this. She grew up not liking bananas at all. Just despising bananas. It's a perfect fruit. It's neat to eat. It peels nicely. It comes off in bite sizes. How can you not like bananas? We had that conversation a thousand times. Well, maybe not. Maybe a few. She, not long ago, she said, I'm going to develop a taste for bananas. And she started eating bananas. Yeah, good for her. She likes bananas. She doesn't just tolerate them anymore. And so, and so we force feed ourselves worship, even though we wake up cold and we wake up disqualified and we think in our head, how could I worship God? I'm not ready for that. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to, I, I've talked, I'm talking right now about being fervent by the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about force feeding yourself the Word, and I'm going to give you two things to work on. The first, that both of these are from the Psalms. The first thing you pray for, Psalm 8611, you pray for an undivided heart. Number one, you pray for an undivided heart. Uh, slothfulness, you see, divides your heart. Slothfulness raises up an idol. We seek comfort. We, we, seek, we seek the enjoyment uh, that that idol presumably gives us. And it squeezes out our interest or our taste for God. But you pray, for, you pray for an undivided heart. Unite my heart in the all-surpassing glory of Jesus Christ. Enlarge my heart to, these are biblical categories, to see and to savor and to behold and to delight in Jesus Christ. I am not my own, Paul says, but I was bought with a price, so I honor Christ with my whole heart, with my body. Give me an appetite for this Christ today. Pray for an undivided heart. And, and along, uh, I, I give, teach me your way, O oh God, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O oh Lord my God, with my whole heart. That's what you want. Your whole heart. And I will glorify your name forever. So what you do when you are aware, when you are aware of sin in your life, you confess it promptly. You confess sin promptly. Excuses will flood in. Well, everybody else does this. I can't really change. I'm just going to do it again. I'm not going to be able to defeat this. So why confess it? There's something else going on. Our slothfulness loves the sin too much to repent of it. And that's why you pray for an undivided heart. You cannot live this life on your own. I cannot live the Christian life without hourly dependence upon the Spirit of Jesus, and neither can you.
Give me an undivided heart. Give me an appetite for Jesus that outweighs the false delights that come at me from the world. The second thing is this. From Psalm 90, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Do you think God is looking for a way for your life to be unhappy? Do you think God is putting commands, situations in your life in order to make you sad, in order to make you depressed? Satisfy. He wants you to pray this. Satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast love. Psalm 90, verse 11. Uh, I must go back to Romans 5 uh, and just... We rejoice in our sufferings. We're standing on this platform of grace. We're rejoicing in our sufferings. We're knowing that suffering produces perseverance. It changes us. And endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And listen to this. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is what God is after. He, he, he wants to and has and is um, pouring out His love into your hearts through the Holy Spirit whom He has given to us so that any other love in your life is lesser than this, lesser than God. Elsewhere in the Psalms, we are called to do this. Open wide your mouth. That is, come to God saying, I need grace from heaven. I don't feel fervent today. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't, I feel a little more slothful than fervent. But open your mouth to God. And He says He will fill it. And I, I urge you to make this your prayer. I have been praying this. I've shared this prayer with some of you. And I urge you to make this your prayer. I pray this more than once every day, but I start every day with it. Father, thank you uh, for giving me the grace to persevere to this moment. Now, give me enough love for today. A sense of love from you so I'm not scared or driven. A welling up of love for you, so I'm not proud or selfish. And a resulting love for others, so that I'm not cold or distracted. If you make that your prayer, God promises to, and I can attest to it myself, the ship will turn. By degrees, that ocean liner will change its course to be satisfied in God. And that wretched sloth will sliver off along with its love for God's substitutes, which now become repulsive. Loving God in this way causes the affection you have for those things of this world, those things that divide your heart, those sloth-like things, makes those things repulsive. 
and so are able then finally to serve the Lord. This is, this is also huge, and I'm just going to focus on one part of it. Um, why do we do anything? Why do we do anything in life? It's to serve the Lord. We could talk about coming here to worship and how we do that with passion for the Lord. That's a great thing in and of itself. That's not what we're going to look at today. It's simply this. Our work, to see your work as sacred for the glory of God so that you enter into it wholeheartedly, fervently, without sloth, but fervently and joyfully. Work. See your work as sacred for the glory of God. Uh, Brother Martin Luther, of course, um, cracked open a monopoly that the church had on sanctified work. It's the clergy. It's the church. Anything else is common and doesn't really glorify God. So it was the clerical chain that was connect, that, that was bound, that bound the people of God away from satisfying, God-glorifying labor. For Luther, the peasant and the merchant can do God's work just as much as the minister and the missionary. The maid who sweeps her kitchen does the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she's sweeping the floor while she's singing hymns, but because God loves clean floors. Brother Martin, it's not you're singing the hymns that sanctify what you do. It's pleasing God. I've never thought of God loving clean floors. But I like that. I like that. The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on his shoes, but by making good shoes. God is interested in good craftsmanship. So I want you to think. Moms, kids, dads, single adults... Young adults, old adults, think about living your life quorum Deo before the face of God. Quorum Deo, each day, each day, you remember that little catechism. Can you see God? No, but He always sees me. So you live before His face. Moms, I think about you a lot. I think about, I think about young moms. Um, who um, are up to their elbows in managing um, diapers and toddlers and dishes. And it is oftentimes a thankless task. They are struggling to maintain or maybe to get control of their household. And it seems like they lose more than they win. Chaos seems to win. What do you do? What do you do? First of all, I would encourage you to remember the high calling of motherhood. God is pleased to bless his people with children, little image bearers born into the home, and you get the honor of seeing them grow up to love Jesus. That is the church. He's gifted you with children. Listen to this. He's gifted you with children that He loves. And He's given you the precious calling of showing them Jesus. See, remember that. When the air gets a little thick, (laughs) a little heavy, (laughs) 
you remember that you're serving God to His glory. Kids in school. Kids in school. Did you know that God loves math? He made it. He made it up. He brought, came up with the idea. And, um, and, and He is pleased when you um, dig into your math work and, and you, you see and even can praise God as a God of order because 2 plus 2 invariably always equals 4. In Asia, it doesn't equal 6. It equals 4. Isn't that wonderful? And you're able to work out your, your, um, your, your problems with your formula and it, and it works when done properly. God loves language. He uses language to communicate His truth to us. So you want to learn language and, and, and value it as well. And He just loves science because you get to work and figure out how does God's world work? How is it put together? It is so wonderful. Praise God. Praise God for the good things that He has made and giving us a peek. I, I saw... A young, a young a story of a young guy who was having an internship with, with, uh, with, with one of our government agencies. And the second day on the job, this high school kid, or was he 20? I don't know. Discovered another planet. One more opportunity to give praise to God. Wonderful. You guys and gals, some of you go to work outside the home and your boss is just, honestly, on his best days, he's picky. On his best days, he's irritating and inconsistent. He's demanding. And the easiest thing for you to do is join in to that bad attitude around the coffee, around the, uh, the water cooler. Now, God doesn't sign your checks, but you do work for him. <laughs> And you're able to put up with even the, the vagaries of your boss because you say to yourself, no, I'm working for God. So all of you, God has dignified your work. And, and just do not settle for joylessness in your pursuit of Him. Let us pray.